everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna. And my name is Bracey, and we're two average gals chatting about what it means to grow. How are you growing this week? Um, okay, so I just finished reading, or actually listening to, uh, Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close by Aminatu So and Ann Friedman. I think that's how you pronounce both their names. And they have a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend. I think I've which, heard of them, actually. Yeah, I bet you have. They've had their podcast since like 2014, which I feel like was kind of like right before podcasts like kind of blew up and became a thing. Mm-hmm. And so their book is about kind of like their story of friendship and then these like different theories and ideas that they have about friendship. And so in a nutshell, their story is, you know, they met and they became like insanely close, like pretty immediately. And they have like lived near each other. And currently they live across the country from each other. And then when they decided to start this podcast, they were kind of portraying that their friendship was amazing and they were so close and all this stuff. But in real life, they were like actually going through a really rough patch in their friendship. Mm. Um, and you know, like it was like one of them was like feeling like a lot of like the comments that were made were like petty or they were like hurting their feelings. And the other person like had no idea and just felt like the other was like distancing themselves, but didn't know why. And, you know, they weren't talking about it, of course. And so it just kind of kept snowballing, but it was really interesting. Like I really enjoyed listening to like the growth in their friendship and how they have like worked through things. And they really talk about how it's pretty impossible to like have big friendships without conflict Mm -hmm. um, or without things that you have to work through. And one of the things they talk about is shine theory, which is like their concept that they came up with. That is, I think since they kind of talked about it has been taken by other groups or whatever and tried to like turn into like something different or whatever. So they're really serious about like, no, this is our thing that we created and other people are trying to take it and make it something else and like not give them credit for it. Mm, Um, Yeah. But shine theory is this like idea of being like mutually invested in your friendships and bringing people along and not competing and understanding that like we can all have what we want in this world and it You don't have to be in like direct competition with your friends about things. And the other thing that I really, really loved that I'd never heard before was stretching for your friends, which I just love that visual. And so, you know, like when you have friendships that go on for years and years and maybe a lifetime, there are a million transitions that happen that, you know, we talked about in our friendship episode and you have both parties like have to be willing to stretch for each other in those times of transition and be more intentional and communicate. And like some friendships are worth stretching for and some aren't and that's okay. But they were kind of talking about how a lot of friendships are and the idea that people just like grow apart is really more that like those two people just didn't like stretch for each other in times of transition. That makes total sense. Yeah. It was really, really good. I loved it. So highly recommend. And it really just felt like listening to like a super long podcast, which I loved. So yeah. What about you? How are you growing this week? I found this account on Instagram called The ASL Shop, and she teaches you one sign a day. So I've started (gasps) learning sign language. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. As soon as you said ASL, I was like, like sign language or Mm -hmm. something else. (gasps) Okay. What sign did you learn today? Today I learned... See you later. (laughs) 
Isn't I feel like sign language is cute. <laughs> it's so fun. I learned the colors the other day. Okay. I'm trying to like go back and learn more than one a day since she's had she's been doing it for like a year. So there's a oh, backlog wow. okay. of things that I can learn. And it's so fun. But mm-hmm. I just love getting her little update in the morning of like the sign of the day. I love that too. Okay, what's the name of the account? The ASL shop. Okay, I'm definitely gonna follow it and I will put it in our notes so that Perfect. everybody else can can find it. Great. That's really fun. Do you have a favorite sign yet of all the ones that you know? I mean, see you later is pretty cute. It I know you guys cute. can't see it, but it looks like see you later. Yeah, it's exactly how you would imagine it. <laughs> Finger guns and all. Mm-hmm. That's great. Oh, I also learned how to say I have two dogs and a cat. Oh, I love the sign for dog, actually. The sign for cat looks like whiskers. It's so cute. It is real cute. All right. Okay. So today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, money. (laughs) And today we're talking about a topic that gives me a lot of anxiety, which I know is shocking to all of our listeners. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to talk about this specifically with you because I feel like... I want to hear why it gives you anxiety, and maybe we can talk about how to fix it. I would, I would love that. Let's please do it. Just we'll make this little therapy session. Great. So, what were you taught about money growing up? Was this something that was talked about in your household? Absolutely, yes. My dad works for a credit union, so this was something mm. that we talked about pretty regularly. And he was always very adamant that we have responsible spending and saving habits. He wanted us to have open lines of credit. He taught me that you always pay your credit card off at the end of the month. And if you can't, then you're spending too much money, which I feel like is an important lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, So I feel like it wasn't like we talked about it all the time, but I definitely think I was taught good habits growing up. What about you? Definitely not. (laughs) And we didn't talk about it. And I don't know. I'm sure it was partly because money and money has historically been a taboo topic. I feel like it still kind of is maybe not in like smaller groups because I feel like our friend group, not that we all know like how much each other make or anything like that, but we are excited to celebrate raises and that kind of thing. And so I feel like it doesn't feel uncomfortable necessarily for us to talk about. And so I don't know if it was because it was taboo or if it was because we didn't like need to talk about it when I was growing up. Like I grew up in like kind of an upper middle class, middle income family. And so I always like had everything I needed and a lot of what I wanted. And so I don't know if that's why it wasn't a topic of conversation in the family. I don't know. I do think it's important for both of us to point out that we do come from a very privileged place with this. I was raised in a middle-class family and never really wanted for anything. So that is not a mentality that I've had to contend with. And we're both white. So like we've had opportunities uh, to make money in ways that other people might not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, I don't remember like my mom taking me shopping a lot or like getting toys that I wanted like all the time or whatever, but I did get to do a lot of sports that cost significant amount of money, like club basketball or gymnastics, which is a really expensive sport, but I just didn't know that when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so I think my parents were spending more money on me than I thought they were. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's pretty common. I will say that I got a lot of what I wanted. My mom always liked to buy for us, shop for us, things like that. So I was a little mm-hmm. bit spoiled. I, I Not that I didn't know the word no, because I did. But if we really wanted something, we were pretty much usually given it. Yeah. What was your parents' relationship with money like? My dad grew up 
without a lot of money. And Mm -hmm. my mom grew up pretty much middle class. I feel like they both came from a place of making sure there was enough money. There was, they were actively worrying and like working on that, I think. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I feel like they were in the mentality of like, we have just enough money. Like we have just enough money for the things we want. And then as they got older, they started making more money. And I, and obviously this is not my experience, so I, I'm not a hundred percent sure this is totally accurate, but mm-hmm. I feel like they started getting in the habit of being able to buy nicer things, but then they would also still tend to complain about like bills or expenses that would come up. And so I don't think they ever got into the mindset of being like wealthy by any means. Oh yeah. That makes sense. What about your parents? It was funny when I was thinking about this because I realized, I don't think my parents were ever aligned on money values. I think that's a big deal. I would say the same thing of my parents, and I think that hurt their marriage in some ways. Yeah. I think that money is something that is like in the top three things that you want to be aligned with your partner on because it's such a huge part of your life and your quality of life and all of that stuff. And I just think that can be a huge point of contention. I think it's because money is so closely tied to stability and like security. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. one of our core needs. And so it can cause a lot of fear and anxiety if you're not in a good spot. Yeah, totally. Well said. But yeah, I think my dad was a huge spender. He loves to shop. He is really into like the appearances of things and um, like having nice things. Like he always had a really nice car my whole life. Um, and my mom is like not a shopper at all. She like doesn't care about shopping. She doesn't care about clothes. Like she doesn't really wear jewelry. Like she's just never been into any of that stuff. And I think in general, she's like super practical with money. So I feel like they maybe balanced each other a little bit, but I'm sure it caused issues between them. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, would you say that you're a saver or a spender? I think for the most part, I'm a saver and I kind of always have been. I remember... When I got my first job at a Barnes and Noble cafe and, you know, the minimum wage, which I don't know that it's really increased that much actually, but it was, you know, like 625 or something like that. And so, you know, my paychecks were 50 bucks every two weeks or something. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't making a ton of money by any means, but I got this blue plastic cup and I wrote car on it. And then every time I would like cash my check, I would just put all my money in there. And I actually don't think. I ever thought I was actually going to like buy a car with this money. I think it just felt like what I should naturally be saving for as a 16-year-old. And I also think in my family, for a long time, I was kind of known as like the bank in our family. And so, you know, um, in Seventh Heaven, did you ever watch that show? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the Bank of Simon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really identified with him (laughs) because, you know, I've had times – in my life if there's been like somebody's had to move unexpectedly or something like I just had this money sitting in my savings account and I was never using it. And so I would like loan it to people to do things that they didn't realize they were going to have to do or an unexpected expense or whatever. And then they would just pay me back later. So yeah, I think I'm definitely more of a saver, but I definitely go through periods of being a spender. Absolutely. What about you? Saver or spender? I'm definitely a saver, for sure. My brother is a spender, so I feel like we were opposite, even though we had the same, you know, my my dad was teaching us both the same principles. Uh-huh. 
I would say the same as you. I go through periods where I spend, but I have gotten to the place where I am just making sure that I'm consciously spending and being intentional about what I buy and not just like willy nilly buying a bunch of stuff. And I feel Mm -hmm. like it's very healthy and there's no issues with my spending when I do spend. So I also am not afraid to spend. I don't worry over how much something costs. If I need it, I'm going to buy it and I'm not going to worry about it. That's amazing. It's a good place to be. (laughs) Took me some time to get here. Yeah. How would you say your relationship with money has changed over time? I think with where I'm at now, like since I left grad school and I have like a a grown-up job or whatever, you know, I have more money than I've ever had or I make more money than I've ever made before. And so I definitely feel more comfortable spending money on things that I want or if it's something I need, I will maybe buy like a higher quality of that thing. But I still definitely have anxiety flares around it. I would say it's not like a constant anxiety anymore. It's more like every once in a while, especially if I have to spend money on something that I didn't expect, I can like really spiral into, oh my God, okay, I, I can't buy anything for like at least six months or I, I need to like hold on to my money. I need to be concentrating more on saving because I might lose everything. And so I can really spiral into this place of I'm going to be homeless all of a sudden, even though oh, gosh. I don't actually think that would ever happen to me logically because <laughs> I know my mom would always let me move home if I needed to. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, but it's definitely better than it used to be. I used to be like such a penny pincher because I was afraid even, you would run out. Yeah, even though I've never been that way. Like I've always been saving money. So I've always had enough money to kind of live the way I want to live. But I still get these fears around not having enough. And I kind of think it wouldn't really matter how much money I had. It doesn't seem possible for me to like let go of that anxiety. I could have $3 million in my bank account and I would still be worried. Honestly, this is the part of the conversation that I love because I think the mentality behind it is the most important part. It doesn't matter how much you budget. It doesn't matter how much you save. It doesn't really matter how much you're spending because if you feel like there's not enough, then no amount of money will be enough. Yeah, 100%. And it's very similar to just a generic, like if you have a negative mindset about things, it's really hard to see things in the positive. You kind of have to switch, like work on switching your mindset to be a positive mindset for you to actually be optimistic about things again. Mm -hmm. It's the same with money. It's like, if you think that there's not enough, nothing is going to make it enough until you decide to change your mindset to make it enough. How does one even do that though? I mean, there's a lot of resources out there, which we can talk about at length when we're done with this conversation. But yeah, it's so fun to like see the holes in your mentality and be able to make adjustments. Yeah. What would you say Seb's relationship with money is? That's actually a great question because we've both gone through this sort of realignment of our money mentality over the course of our relationship. And I feel like for me, I was set up to succeed at this. And I've not had to make like too many changes. Mm -hmm. He I think he had in his subconscious the idea that he shouldn't make more than his parents. Like he somehow internalized that he shouldn't be making more than his mom. And she's a teacher. So that's a limiting belief. Like, Like truly, actually very limiting. So he 
And he actually, he specifically asked me to talk about this because the exercise was so helpful to him. I had read somewhere and I told him about it that you can write a letter to money as if they're like your best friend. It's like you take money, you personify it, and you have a conversation about how your relationship is going to be and how much you appreciate them, how much you love them, how you want things to go in the future. And writing that letter really, really helped him adjust his mindset to be more positive with money. Does he still have the letter? I'm not sure. Probably. Every time we talk about money mentality, he talks about that letter. So it really it was funny because I did the same exercise and it didn't really do much for me, but he really, really liked it. Hmm. Okay. I'm gonna have to try that. Yeah. Did he Can't call hurt. it money or did he name his money something special? No, I think he called it money. I know okay. one teacher um, that I... I like her work a lot. Her name is Jazz. She's at the moon.mother on Instagram. She's an incredible teacher on money and the frequency of money. And she calls money divine currency. Oh, I like that. Because mm-hmm. I mean, money is an energy, which is a lot of what the some of the alternative teachers will talk about the fact that money is an energy because everything is an energy. Literally everything in our universe is an energy, but specifically money is an energy. The paper dollar doesn't really mean anything. So yeah. it's whatever value you put behind it. And you can change what you decide that value is. I'm making a mind-blown hand <laughs> sign language. <laughs> I was just thinking about, you know, our episode last week was about birth order. And I, you know, talked about my sisters and I are pretty far apart in age. And I think we all had pretty, for the most part, like pretty different experiences with money in our house because of our uh, age difference. And so when Sarah was growing up, I think my parents had more money than they did when I was like growing up. And so when one party makes some poor decisions, it impacts your entire family. And so I think that has really impacted me, even though I was kind of always a saver, even, you know, before I went through that with my family, I think having that experience changed me and my relationship with money in a way that it didn't impact my sisters because they were already out of the house. Yeah, that makes total sense. You basically had a traumatic event surrounding money where you had money and then all of a sudden you didn't. And of course you have anxiety about it. That makes total sense. Yeah. So And so it's nice to have like this logical thing that I can point to and be like, oh, this is why I have anxiety about money, but I still don't know how to change it. Well, I mean, I would say that healing your story around that event would probably be Step number one, because it, I mean, I say trauma and I mean little t trauma, but it still is a trauma. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think I'm just now learning in my life of like these things that happened that were traumatic that I don't label that way. Yeah. um, But actually were. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We all have them. Yeah, absolutely. How has your relationship with money changed over your lifetime? Okay. Well, I touched a little bit on how Seb and I have both done work around our money mentalities. But I feel like for me specifically, the important part of that was going from a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by scarcity mentality is just feeling like I have to control my finances because otherwise they'll get out of hand. There's never enough. I need to save everywhere that I can. Like those very fearful Purchasing tendencies, saving tendencies, they're not, they weren't healthy for me. And Mm -hmm. being able to move past them 
it's really amazing, mostly because it's not even like I want to make as much money as I can, which there's nothing wrong with that. For me, it's more like I don't have to worry about money. So I just don't ever have to think about it. And it's great. Yeah, that's a wonderful place to be. It really is. But it's interesting, too, because this is another place where Seb and I differ. For him, an abundance mentality means being able to look at our finances and just be happy about it. Like he looks at our stocks, our investments all the time, every day, because he loves to see the number. Okay, well, first of all, I don't know anything about stocks or investment because the idea of giving money to something that is like not tangible. I just can't even, I want to laugh about it right oh now. Oh my gosh, Anna, you, you don't have any investments? Oh boy, we got to start no. from square one. We, yeah, we need to do okay. a stock investment one episode. I'm going to go ahead and plug the book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, because I think that has a lot of the basics about like, if you don't understand anything about investments or saving or credit or anything like mm-hmm. that, that's a good place to start. The way that I see our investments in our stock, Seth thinks they're fun. He legit legitimately thinks they're entertaining and and fun to like a good part of his day. Uh I see them as a way to use my money to make more money. Like that's the beginning and the end of it. So I had investments that I handled before we were married. I just turned them over to him to handle because he loves to do it. Okay. And Taylor does have like investments or stock or I don't know. He has something that is amazing because his grandparents, instead of like birthday presents or Christmas presents or whatever, they would just buy stock for him. Oh, that's great. And it's so amazing. I'm like, wow, I love that his grandparents did that because I, I get to benefit from it one day, you know, because it's like, oh, we just have this like little pot of money sitting around when we need it. Wonderful. But I remember one time, I think I was in college and I went to the bank for something and the Teller was like, hey, do you like always keep about this much money in your savings account? And I was like, yeah, I don't really mess with my savings. Like, And he was like, oh, you know, you should put it in a CD, which now I can't remember what that stands for. But it's basically like you put money into something and you can't touch it for a year, but then you get a it's certain like amount of money on top of it. It's like a long-term slow growth investment. Yeah. And even though I was like, the likelihood that I'm going to need this money in the next year is so slim, but I just couldn't part with it. Fascinating. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, how much money could I have made? Because I didn't use it. Like it just sat there making a nickel every month or something (laughs) crazy. Do you worry (laughs) at all about like retirement? I don't really only because I work for a school system currently and they do like all my retirement stuff. Okay. So they like take a certain amount of money out and blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know what they do, but I know that okay. there is a retirement account for me. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. It's better than nothing. Do I worry about Taylor's state retirement account? Maybe. I don't know. He probably has a retirement account. <laughs> I think he does. I think he cares. He is more like, oh yeah, I need to like be conscious of those types of things. Well, and maybe, I don't know if, if that's something that he is more inclined to do. That could be part of your mental discussion. Like, you know. How are we going to handle this moving forward? Yeah, I think that would be a great idea. I think this week I've a couple like things have come up and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a thing, too, that we like didn't initially put on there. I do think also that you should read up a little bit on this type of stuff because I think it's important to have an understanding of the basics. Yeah, definitely. And I think because I love to save that I would probably be like Seb and be like, oh, my gosh. Look, yeah. we made a little extra money. It would just be the initial giving the money away is what it feels like. It's not giving it away. It's still yours. I know, but it 
feels like it isn't. <laughs> but I think if I could get past that part, then I would think it was fun. Maybe next time you're like, here, oh, he can money. show you our accounts and like work through what yeah, he does. Show me how much money you have. You I would love about to it. know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. I don't care. <laughs> okay. Well, on the topic of investments, what would you say your approach currently is to budgeting and investments? Okay. Well, my approach to investment is <laughs> nothing. Hope for the best. <laughs> it's pretend like that's not a thing. With budgeting, Taylor and I do have a budget that's, of course, on a spreadsheet. Duh. But it is so much work to update it. And so neither of us really do it. We did it for like a month or two and then it was like, okay, this is too much work. So I feel like it's more of here's like an approximation of like how much money we should probably be spending about on all these different things. And so I think it was more like a mental exercise of like, okay, how much do we want to spend on groceries each week? Like what is reasonable? And then like how much money do we want to spend on gifts or dinners out or whatever? And so I think it's just was kind of more of a practice to make sure we were on the same page more than like we're going to be really strict about this budget because neither one of us is super strict on, okay, we spent our allotted amount of groceries this month, so we'll just have to eat cans of beans or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, it's not like that. Um, but Taylor is definitely more of a spender historically, maybe not as much anymore than I am. Um, so I think it was good for us to like sit down and have that conversation. Okay. I would say that we're pretty similar. We have a quote unquote budget. That's a spreadsheet of our recurring bills and things. And so it's a basically an approximation of how much we spend for sure every month and then how much we typically spend on things like groceries and then yeah. how much we'll, we would have left over to kind of allocate where we are or allocate where it is necessary. But I would mm -hmm. also say that we are at a place in our lives, thankfully, where we don't really have to worry about it that much. Like, yeah, I mean, I never think about how much we spend on groceries. It's just yeah. not a topic that we have to worry about, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. He just likes to have a pulse on how much is actually going out. And I like to have a pulse on whether we're spending on the things that we ought to be spending on. I want to make sure we're being conscious with where we send our money yeah. And I don't really care how much it is as long as we're not just, you know, paying for a subscription that we don't use anymore. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that's a a great way to be like maybe not worrying about it all the time or ever, hopefully, but being conscious of where your money's going so it's not just spending money on stuff that yeah, you don't even use or you don't actually even care about or whatever. I would say I have a couple of thoughts here. First of all, conscious spending is important. So the intention behind how you're spending. Mm -hmm. Second of all, staying out of the energy of restriction is important to me. I never want to feel like I'm restricted by money. And I think that's where a lot of people are. Um, third, I do believe in saving. Like I don't want to make it sound like we just buy whatever we want. I believe in saving, but I be also believe in saving where it feels easy for you to save and not just like pinching pennies every single place you can. So for us, yeah. we save a lot of money because we DIY all of our, almost all of our house projects. We save yeah. a ton of money that way. And it's easy for us because we like to do things like that. Yeah. 
my mom is really great at finding like the greatest Habitat for Humanity finds. She finds furniture for like the cheap all the time. Mm-hmm. And she loves doing it. It's like really fun for her. But I think there's a lot of people that are like trying to save in every single area. And sometimes you just need to be able to like buy things and feel good about it and not have to restrict yourself. Yeah, totally. Splurge here and there. Treat yourself. Yeah. And not feel bad about it. Right. Yeah. So what is your approach to budgeting and investments? Okay. Well, we talked about budgets a little bit, but Seb handles most of this for us. And he is a big advocate for prioritizing paying off debt and especially high interest debt. So when we sold our townhouse, we paid it off both of our cars. And that was awesome because now we don't have car payments. It's amazing. Yeah. The other thing about paying off debt is I feel like in a lot of financial books or circles or whatever, people associate debt as being like bad. I don't necessarily think debt is bad. It's just a conscious choice to pay as you go instead of paying all at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think... Which for we, a lot of people is not possible or a reasonable ask. <laughs> right. I just think it gets dicey when people think of it as avoiding a bill. Like if I don't have to pay it right now, then that bill doesn't exist. I think the mentality is like, I'm going to choose to pay this off over time instead of... And actually, I think I'm going to go ahead and credit Amanda Francis with that because I think she's the one that taught me that one, that debt is a choice to pay as you go. Yeah. She's an incredible money teacher as well. Y'all should check her out. What do you think about Dave Ramsey? First of all, I'm not super familiar with his work, so can't say that this is an accurate assessment. But I do think he teaches some good principles. But I also think that a lot of what he teaches comes from the energy of restriction, like save everything you can in all the areas so that you'll be debt free. And I don't think that makes for a happy person. And I, I, it's not the way I would approach it. Yeah, I definitely don't know a ton about him. But I have like some friends and some family who really love him. And I agree. I think he's really smart about money, but it does seem like it tends to be more of you just need to save everything. You don't need to buy a car unless you can pay it off in full immediately and all of that thing, which I'm like, that just doesn't feel realistic for the average person. (laughs) It doesn't make for a happy person. And I personally believe that a happy, fulfilled person tends to make more money and just generally be a better contributor to society. So I'm not saying go out and blow all your money, but find places where you can spend that makes you really happy and like super fulfilled and Mm -hmm. then save where where else you can. Like I don't care about cars. So I love my Kia more than anything and will probably Mm -hmm. get another Kia and I never really want to have a luxury car, but I will probably want to have a luxury house. So in the form of a 60s ranch. Yeah. With heated tile floors in the bathroom. That is a wonderful luxury though. It really is. Worth it. (laughs) Okay. So I feel like what we've been talking about it, a lot of it comes down to what your beliefs and your mentality are around money. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about that? I mean, (laughs) I think it's, it's hard to really even say like what my belief is around money. That's not just money is for saving at least like 80, 85%. I really love to like buy clothes that I like and I love to go on trips and money is a way to give me a better quality of life. That's absolutely true. 
but it also comes with a lot of stress for me. And so I think it's, I'm always trying to find this balance between being logical and realistic about my finances and not letting those anxieties take over and like ruin things for me or like ruin an experience or ruin an outfit or whatever. Um, because I'm stressed thinking about how much money it's costing versus just enjoying oh, yeah. it. That sucks the fun out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Are you available for a homework assignment? Absolutely. So what is it? <laughs> I think you should journal on what your beliefs around money are and like be very specific about examples and like whatever you can think of and just dump it on a page. Okay. And then I also want you to do a different page of journaling about what you would like your beliefs about money to be. Okay. I can because do that focusing on what you want to turn those beliefs into is a lot more productive. And it also allows you to if you wanted to create like an affirmation that you could say every day or something like that, that Mm -hmm. would be more actionable. um, It can be helpful for that too. Okay. And if any of our listeners out here are more similar to me and how I think about money, if you want to join me in this homework assignment, we would love that. Yeah, I want to hear Everybody tell me your beliefs about money. That's my favorite topic. (laughs) All right. Well, tell us more about your beliefs and your mentality. Okay. So baseline in general, I think that money is an energy that's here to support me. And I think that looks a lot different depending on the scenario. But no matter what, money is here to support me. And that means that I don't have a poor mindset. So I'll probably never be poor again. It means that when I have a big dream or goal, that money will be there to support me. And in action, what this looks like to me is when we have a big expense come up for the house, I never think about it as we're losing money. Never. I always think about it as we get to invest this money into our house to make it more valuable in the long term. And I think that about anything I buy, like courses If I'm learning about something new and I have to pay for that knowledge, it's like an investment in myself is an investment in our future. Uh, Even things like clothes, like when I'm happy with what I'm wearing, I'm a better human. I'm contributing more to my family or environment or whatever it is. The happier and healthier I am, the better off everybody else around me is. And money helps me do that. I love that so much. I'm going to take out this piece of the recording and just play it for myself every day. The other thing I want to talk about, and I think this is a really cool idea and also is something that people can really work on for themselves, is the idea of energetic minimums. So you were saying that you have a certain amount in your savings account. You don't really invest it out or change where it's located. I'm Mm -hmm. the same way. I like to have a savings account that feels like if we have some sort of apocalypse, there's money that we're going to be okay. And when I first started working out of college, my energetic minimum for my savings account was $5,000. And so I always kept $5,000 in that account. It never dipped below $5,000. Didn't matter the scenario. And then when Seb and I were like first moving in together, first married, our energetic collective minimum was $20,000 to $25,000. So we had that in the bank at all times. Okay. And now I would say it's pushing $35,000, $40,000. And so we just keep raising it. As our lifestyle changes and, you know, we're making more money and receiving more money and things like that. I think that stretching your energetic minimum is a really good exercise for people. And it can, could even look like ways to stretch yourself. Like, let's say you're struggling with cleaning your house 
Actually, I have a perfect example of this. My mom was struggling a little bit with keeping her house clean because it was like, it was pretty big and she was spending time cleaning instead of working where she, mm-hmm. and she works in sales. So like the more time she spends, typically the more money she receives. So she yep. invested in cleaners for herself, house cleaners. And the week she did that, she made so much more money than the week before. It was like she raised her energetic minimum and she made space for more money to come in and it just worked. And I think that's a good way to stretch yourself. So let's say it's investing in a monthly massage for yourself. And like, it doesn't have to be a financial return. It's more of an energetic return. And I think that's a Mm -hmm. good way to like try to stretch yourself a little bit. For us, for Sab and I, one of the ways we have done that is with our grocery subscription. So we pay $100 to be able to pick up our groceries instead of have to shop for ourselves. I will never not do that ever again in my life. I'm not going to (laughs) be a grocery shopper anymore because I don't have to. Yeah. And so we just raised our minimum a little bit, you know? You guys are so smart and so good at this. I mean, I've spent a lot of time reading about it. So... (laughs) And I also just love this topic. I think it's so fascinating how your mindset can impact your physical reality. Well, and I just really appreciate how comfortable you are in talking about money because I think a lot of people aren't. Yeah, I agree. And actually, Seb does a very similar job to one of our other friends. And when she was talking about going into her review and like whether she was going to get a raise or not, he just laid his salary out on the table for her because he was like, I know that I'm making more than you and I need you to know that you can make more than you are making. Yeah. It's important to both of us that people have the chance to change their mindset on this stuff because other people making more money only benefits the rest of us. A rising tide lifts all boats. Oh, wow. All right. I feel like throughout this conversation, you've given like some really good concrete like steps for people. Can you give us like a top three, like here's what to do next? All right. So... My underlying thing here is you want to cultivate a positive relationship with money and hopefully get rid of that fear and anxiety. So I would say one thing is to look for teachers. So I have mentioned Amanda Francis. I've mentioned Jazz at the Moon Mother. Ramit's book is good. I will teach you to be rich. That one has a lot of basics in it. Um, Amanda Francis just wrote a book. Happy Pocket Full of Money is one of my favorite money books. So find a teacher that you like and, you know, absorb whatever they have to give you. Okay. Second, I would say is find places where you're playing small and see if you can make small shifts to expand yourself in those areas. So I think I already mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I was like waffling over whether to buy myself this expensive chapstick. And it was taking up so much room in my brain about whether to buy it. And like, I just bought it and the world didn't end. Like now I just (laughs) wear fancy chapstick. That's it. Um, Another place that was this is funny, that's happened this week. So like, obviously, seven are not perfect. We still work on things all the time. But we have a soda stream. And we really like the ginger ale that the SodaStream makes. So I had bought some of them. And then we were talking about how much ginger ale one of the SodaStream bottles makes versus how much it costs to buy a two liter. And we literally have had this conversation probably three times. We've been going back and forth about it. And I was like, Seb, we have way too much money to be worrying about how much our ginger ale costs. (laughs) This is like not a conversation that we should be having. And he was like, yep, you're totally right. And I was like, the answer is sometimes we like to have a two liter for convenience, but we really like Mm -hmm. the taste of the soda stream. So we should keep both in the house. And he was like, 
Okay. And like, that was just a small <laughs> shift that once I realized that it was like a thing that we shouldn't be talking about, then we moved on and it will, we'll never think about it again. Right. You're going to let it go. Yeah. We also made the switch to organic vegetables and we've never noticed a difference. Like our grocery bill went up a little and then that was the end of it. And before I definitely had the belief that like if you buy organic vegetables, then you're fancy. Right. And that you're going to be spending so much more money and you're going to have to restrict somewhere else. Yeah. And to be totally honest, sometimes the organic vegetables are actually cheaper than the regular ones. And because I was never looking at it, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, also, again, this is a place where I'm investing in my health and I have the belief that those types of investments always return to me. That value always returns to me. Mm-hmm. So that's two. Third, I would say is give it a shot to try out some of the exercises that exist for like adjusting your money mentality. So if you want to write the letter to money, if you want to do the journaling on your beliefs, affirmations are really helpful. You can do tapping EFT, which is a a technique that helps work on your subconscious to kind of change some of your beliefs. You can do visualizations, you can do meditations, like there's tons of stuff out there that help you move from that scarcity mentality, the energy of restriction into more freedom with money. Okay. And we will put all of this stuff in the notes under the episode. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing so much of your money knowledge. I really enjoyed everything that I learned here. I'm glad to talk about it. And I know that I have maybe a little bit non-traditional ideas about money, but it's worked for us. So hopefully it'll help somebody else. Yeah. All right. Well, if you try any of these things or you have other money beliefs you want to share with us, we would love to hear about it. You can email us at likeheartedpodcast at gmail.com. Or feel free to DM us at likeheartedpod on Instagram. Talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.